Hello, everybody, and thanks again for joining us for Church Today Online. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I'm here at Impact Bethany, one of our campuses. This church is also over 100 years old. It's a place that became a part of our church family last July. And shortly after that, we hired Pastor Don Thee to come in and to be our pastor here at Bethany. And he's assembled a great team and strategy that's doing great things in this community. Normally at Bethany, what we would see happening is on Tuesday night, they have a kids and teenage Bible study that happens. And then they run monthly outreach programs that try to draw people from the community to come here at the church. This community is so diverse. Not far from the church is an apartment complex that's for lower income families. But then also just down the road is a brand new housing addition. There's just a little bit of everyone represented around this place, and the church is beginning to show that. Once the coronavirus shut down all the schools in the state, two elementary schools nearby needed help supplying food to kids in their community. But they soon ran out of food, and so Don and the impact team stepped up. They supplied the missing food and even gave over and beyond what they needed. They truly are being the hands and feet of Jesus during this time. Today, we're going to continue our Blueprints series with part four. Now, this series has been looking at the things that our church can't go without, the essential things, the blueprints for what make us a healthy church. Today, it's going to be about what it means to be a witness to the people around you. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take you back to my high school years again. I think that was just a very formative time for me. I learned a lot about myself, but... When I was in high school, I had a friend named Michael. Michael was a lot different than me. He lived a different family life, a different social life, but we lived near each other. And so we also rode the same school bus and we had classes together. Michael was a a really funny guy, but he had some issues. He liked to smoke and drink and maybe even do drugs. I'm not really sure, but Michael was always super friendly with me. We had a kind of a unique friendship, but it was On July 15th, 2004, right before our senior year of high school, that I had a very rude awakening in my faith. That night, Michael was out drinking. He took a drive in his GMC Sonoma, and he crashed into a tree. And his vehicle caught on fire, and it took firefighters two hours to put out that fire. Michael's blood alcohol level was over three times the legal limit. And he died that night. Why didn't I ever say anything to Michael? Why didn't I ever invite him to church? Why didn't I ever ask him if he knew about Jesus? Why didn't I ever tell him about Jesus? It's too late now. And as a teenager, I wrestled with those thoughts and emotions for a while, recognizing that life is fragile. James tells us this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then soon vanishes. And if there is one thing that has overwhelmingly been true that we have seen through this coronavirus pandemic, it is that life is fragile and that we don't know what's going to happen to any of us and at any time. And so as we looked at this reality, we realized that this truth should propel us to be people that don't wait when it comes to sharing our faith. We, we all have a role in this. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for evangelists. This isn't just for church staff. This is for all of us. If you are a Christian, 
then you don't get to sit this one out. When we recognize that our faith is the most important thing in our life, then it changes the way that we live. We're able to make this transition in our life. Time is short. And you don't know what's going to happen, so why wait? The blueprint for a healthy church, really, is that it is filled with people who are living as witnesses for Jesus. And that's really what I want to share with you today as a church. As a church, we've recognized this important principle. It's called personal evangelism, and it's one of our core strategies, spiritual influence. And we have an entire ministry plan devoted to helping make this a part of who you are. But maybe what theologian Albert Moeller said is true. At the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to evangelism is Christians who don't share the gospel. Could it be that simple? Today, what I want to do is is, is talk about this, and I, I, I want to show you that I think the blueprint for being a witness for Christ in your life doesn't have to be that hard. I want to show it to you from a story in Jesus' life, and it comes from a moment in Jesus' life where he shows us exactly what sharing your faith can look like. It's from Matthew chapter 9. And so Jesus is in the thick of his ministry. I mean, he's doing all kinds of stuff. He's healing people. He's teaching. He's preaching. uh, He's casting out demons. All kinds of things have been happening right and left, and people are just swarming him everywhere he goes. And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 9. Here's what we learn. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. You've probably heard those verses before, but what I want to do today is to give you three things that we see from this passage that show us how to be a witness for Christ. The first one is this, is that you have to care. Look right there what it says. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This word compassion in the original Greek means to be moved from the inward parts it's this idea that, that something is stirred inside of, you, inside of you that you want to do something about it. And so Jesus cared about people. He cared about all people, not just people like him, not just Jews, not just people with the same skin color, not just people with the same economic status, not people that just talk like him. But Jesus cared about everyone. He ate with sinners. He talked with Pharisees. He even touched leopards and had time to spend with children. Jesus cared about people and all people, and he displayed it over and over in his life. And here in this moment, when he's surrounded by the mass of people, he saw their need and he had compassion on them. He cared. And the truth is, is that we have to be people that care about people. We have to be willing to care enough about their spiritual well-being. Now, There's this great story about the Moravian church movement that happens in the 1700s. There's a story about a black servant who came to the church court and he wanted to send people from Germany, where he was, to his home in St. Thomas to share the gospel with his people. So a few years later, two men left for that journey, Leonard Dober and David Nietzsche. They left from Germany to head to St. Thomas 
And when they got there, they yielded immediate results because of their inclusive gospel. They allowed blacks to sing with whites. They preached spiritual equality among all people and encouraged religious emotion. They made a huge impact there, but Leonard Dober wasn't satisfied. He wrote this. He said, on the island, there are still souls who cannot believe because they have not heard. Dober expressed later this willingness to be sold into slavery, to be able to share the gospel among the slaves. Think about that for a second. He, he was willing to be sold into slavery so that he could preach the gospel to the people who were slaves. Documentation is a little scarce of whether that actually happened or not, but maybe you've heard of the Moravians because this is a part of their legacy in other parts of the world. Their extreme devotion to bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. They cared. They cared. And, and we have to care. We have to be a people that care about other people's salvation. When Jesus walks amongst the crowd and he saw people helpless in need and in their spiritual lostness, he cared about them. He had compassion on them and, he, and it moved him from the inside out. And this has to be who we are as well. A couple years ago, I was in Cuba visiting our, uh, our mission partner there. And we were, visited a city in the middle of the island called Santa Clara. And right outside Santa Clara is this village uh, where our uh, seminary is, that the, the ministry that we support. And we had went into the city and we were doing some things there. But as we were leaving, something interesting happened. Because Santa Clara is not a tourist city. At least, especially for Americans, they don't get very many American tourists there. But our team was all loaded up in the van, and we were getting ready to leave. And I was uh, the leader of that trip, so I was waiting to be the last one uh, to get on the bus. And I was just standing there on the sidewalk, and this man comes up to me. And he starts talking to me, asked me where I was from. And he was surprised when I said America, because again, Santa Clara doesn't get many tourists, especially from the States. And my mission host is like waving me on. He's like, come on, like basically don't mess around with these people. I don't know them. Like, you know, we've got places to go. But there was something that's a part of it. My, my heart beats for the Cuban people. I love that place. And so what I did was I had a conversation with that man. While <laughs> my whole team is waiting on the bus, I tell him who we are and where we're from and what we're doing. I talked to him about the church. I, I took the time, even when I didn't have the time, and I don't know what was next for that man. I don't know what came about that. Maybe nothing. I'm not sure. But what I know is that in that moment, I cared enough to have a conversation. And we have to be people. We have to be people who take the time. We have to open our eyes and our hearts to people who need Jesus. If we're too occupied with ourselves and our schedules and our comfort, we forget the most important thing is that people need to know Jesus and we need to care about them. So the question is, is that do you care enough? Do you, do you care enough about people to stop and to say something? Maybe to invest time to lead someone to Jesus. Do you care that much? Because we have to. The church, the church has to care that much. Jesus challenged all of us with this in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, caring about people, loving people, that's what Christians do. Not 
out of obligation. Not out of obligation, but because of how Jesus has loved us. Here it is. A healthy church is filled with people who genuinely care about other people. And that's such a simple statement to make, but it's something that many people lack because we live in a me-first world. Jesus Jesus never lived like that. He said to love one another as I have loved you. And if you really think about that, if you really break that down and the implications that has for your life, you would live differently and we would see people completely different. Jesus cared about people. But he also shows us something else here in the text. He shows us that, my second thought, is that you have to pray. This is so important. You have to pray. Here's what he says. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus specifically told his disciples to ask God for help in the salvation of other people. I mean, imagine the scene. Jesus is walking through this first century village on a dusty road, and people are just just swarming him from all different angles and all different sides, and he feels their pain. He feels their suffering. And not only that, but he's able to recognize their spiritual need. And so what does he do? He pulls his disciples together. Maybe they huddle up for a second. He says, look, look, guys, listen, there's a lot of people here. And they're all in need, but there are so few of us doing anything about it. Let's ask God for help. Let's ask God to step in to do something. You see, it's interesting that Jesus tells them this because what he's basically doing is shifting their ability to care. He's helping them care for people as well. But above anything else, what I want you to know above anything else is when it comes to being a witness to people, you better be praying for them. Back in December, I preached a sermon on prayer based on Colossians chapter 4, and I challenged you partly to pray with persistence and to pray with passion. You want someone to know Jesus? You better be consistently praying for them. This is the thing that is so tricky about being a Christian, let's be honest, because this is the thing that's unseen. No one sees this. No one knows how much you're praying or how little that you're praying. This is unseen. But here's what Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. See, this isn't a show. That's basically what Jesus is saying. Prayer, true prayer in the Christian life, is what genuinely happens between you and God when no one else is listening. It's not about eloquent words or fancy phrases. It's about being open and real and vocal with God. If you want to see someone come to know Christ, you better be praying for them because it is God who changes hearts. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. I'm sorry. You can help in the process. You can be a part of the solution. You can be his hands and his feet and you can speak truth, but the heart is changed and shaped by the Holy Spirit. But we believe, we believe as a church that prayer changes things. I mean, you look through a quick glance at Scripture, you see that Moses' prayer, 
changed God's plan. Joshua's prayer, if you look at this, defied science and made the sun stand still. Hannah's prayer gave her a child. Elijah's prayer altered the weather. And Jesus' prayer made a dead man walk out of the grave. Prayer can change the world around you. It can change the people around you. Not you, not you, but by the power of God when we aim to glorify him. One of the things I do when the weather is nice, most days I'll, I'll take my dog for a walk around this pond in my neighborhood. It takes me about 10 or 15 minutes, you know, about the length of a nice short sermon. But when I do that, one of the things that I often do is I pray for three guys in my life that I want to see have a relationship with God because they, they don't really. And so I, I find myself, sometimes I'll talk out loud. I'll plead. I'll, I'll ask. Sometimes I just search for answers. I I pray persistently for them. I know that it's not up to me. I want to be a a part of it, but I know that it's not up to me. But I want someone to be praying for them. I want someone to be in their corner for them, praying for them. I'm praying that God would shape their hearts and make them open to a relationship with him. Do you do this? Do Do you do something like that? Because Jesus wanted his disciples not only to care about people who need God, but also to pray that God would do something about it. And the reality is is that a healthy church is filled with people who are praying for those who are far from God. Guys, I I want that to be us. I want that to be the type of church that we are. That's, That's something that we all have to commit to, to make a part of who we are. Not just the staff or not just a prayer team. It's up to all of us to recognize the power and the importance of prayer and to be asking God to send people Or to save them, maybe even both. See, a key statistic to help you remember the importance of prayer is recognizing how difficult this can be for some people. In fact, the Barna Group is a research company. The Barna Group did extensive research on salvation and shows that for people who are currently Christians, for people who are currently Christians, only 6% of them made a first-time decision to be a believer after the age of 18. That means the vast majority of people choose to be a Christian, choose to believe in God while they are a kid or a teenager. It points to the value and the importance of children's and student ministry and how important it is when sharing your faith and leading young ones to Christ. But the other thing that it does is it shows us the difficulty of leading adults into a first-time decision. I mean, just think, how difficult would it be for you to change your religion right now? How, how, how hard would it be for you to drop all the beliefs that you know and that you believe and to follow something else? What would have to change? What would you have to be convinced of? This isn't easy. It, it doesn't happen by a comment here or there or by something that you say on Facebook. It happens and it starts when we begin praying for the power of God in the life of that person. We've got to start praying. We just have to. I talked to Christy Brink about this idea. Christy is our women's ministry director on staff at our church, and she's also our resident leader in staff prayer. She helps keep all of our teams focused on prayer. But as I was talking to her, she kind of gave me some words that I thought would be good to share with you. Here's what she said about this. She said this, we can do all the right things when it comes to sharing our faith and leading 
someone to Jesus. We can know all the right verses. We can say all the perfect answers. We can talk about Jesus openly and freely in every conversation we have. But at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about the work Jesus is doing in the heart of that person. Do we have a role in that? Absolutely. God has always used his people to share his message of salvation. But our focus should always be on what God can do, not what we can do. We can't save anyone. Only Jesus can do that. And because of that, we can never underestimate the role of prayer in the salvation of the lost. Prayer is so vital to what we are doing, we can no longer afford to neglect it. Let me move to our last idea. And this last part really only works if we are the first two. If we care about people and we're praying for them, then the, next, the last thing we have to do is we, we have to do something. That, that's the third point for today is that you have to do something. Because when Jesus finishes this, this little talk with his disciples, he moves directly into Matthew chapter 10, which is what many scholars call the mission discourse. It's the instructions to the 12 about what to do with this newfound compassion for lost people. And it's followed by Jesus sending out the 12 to share the good news of the gospel with those who need to hear it. And here's the deal, guys. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to care about people who don't follow Jesus, then you eventually, eventually you have to do something. We've talked about this phrase before is that you can't share your faith in heaven. It's just something that you can't do. And I still think about this reality when I think about my friend Michael. It's too late. I, I lost my chance and I didn't do anything about it. And I'll be honest with you guys. I don't want to have any more instances. I don't want to have any more scenarios where I have to stand before the judgment seat of God and I have to justify my lack of compassion or my lack of action when it comes to reaching those far from God. I'm just not interested in that. That's why we've adopted this strategy as a church to, to help you to do this in your life. We've called it the One Life Initiative because we all have people in our life who are far from God. And this strategy just helps you be intentional about the spiritual aspect of your life, spiritual influence. So the first step is to develop a friendship because the best way to lead someone to Christ is through a friendship not a bullhorn or a doorbell. We're not asking you to hit the streets and in the street corners with signs and yelling. We're asking you to develop a friendship because here's the truth. No one wants that feeling when you open the door and you see two guys in a dress shirt with name tags and backpacks and they say, hey, we'd like to share our faith with you. <laughs> no, one, no one likes that feeling. No one, no one wants that. It's not genuine. And there is a, an entire generation that sees through the I want to get you saved mentality. They're just not buying it. But on the contrary, what we are asking you to do is to develop a friendship first. Then you can learn their story. Because so many people have a reason why they don't follow Jesus. They have a reason for that, why they don't follow in his footsteps. And once you learn someone's story, then you can decide what to do next. That's the strategy. It's not hard. It's not complicated. That's the strategy. But here's the deal. This pushes you. It propels you to do something and not to stand still. Let me read that quote that I read at the beginning of my message. At the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to evangelism is Christians 
who don't share the gospel. That can't be us. It, it, it just can't. A healthy church, a healthy church does more than just invite people to church. And, and hear me out on this. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Being a witness, sharing your faith with others, the end goal is not that you invite someone to church. The end goal is that you help lead them to a relationship with Christ. Now, when Jesus walked through the crowd and he saw their spiritual helplessness, he had compassion on them. That compassion led him to pray, and that prayer led the disciples to going out and doing something. About 123,000 people in this country have died from the coronavirus since it entered the United States in February. None of us know what's next. None of us know when it will be our time. None of us know what the future holds for anyone. And so when Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 12, he talked about a man who was making all these plans for his life and all the things that he was going to do. And then Jesus throws in this curveball in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. He says this, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You see, the reality is that you don't have the luxury of waiting. You don't get to see a countdown for each person. There is an urgency that we often overlook and don't think about. And so in light of this pandemic and recognizing that people can leave this world way sooner and without much of a notice, today I'm challenging you to consider doing these three things and what it would look like. Number one, start having compassion and care for people who are far from God. Start praying. And the third thing is that we have to start doing something about it. You have to move yourself to a place of urgency when it comes to sharing your faith. You see, these last words that Jesus ever spoke, as he's before his disciples and he's about to ascend into the clouds, the very last thing that Jesus said to him in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, each of us, who are Christians, we have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us, inside of us at every moment. I mean, Jesus said himself, it's better that I leave so that the Spirit can come and be with you. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. In his final words, his final challenge was this, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You have a role, you have a challenge, you have a mission from Jesus Christ to tell others about him. Here's the crazy thing about all this. If we all did this, think how different our world would be. Think how different our community would be. How, how different would our church be? What about your workplace or, or your school? How different would it be if we all did this? If we all do this, we begin to change the world. People's eternities change. We begin to see people experience and to know the love and the peace that only Jesus Christ can offer, and it is beautiful. A healthy church cares about people who are far from God. It prays for them, and it does something to move them towards a relationship with Jesus. Lord, please help that be us. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for how you love us. Thank you for Jesus 
in his life and his death and resurrection that give us a chance to spend eternity with you. We are so thankful for that. But Lord, I pray that in this moment today that you would propel and compel each of our hearts to be a people that see others who are far from you and have a desire and a passion to bring them to a relationship with you. God, help that make be our heart. Help that be us. Help that be who we are from the core, from the inside, that we aren't just people that take your love and your grace and say thank you, but we try to distribute that to everyone else that we know. God, change us. Make us a people that want to bring others to Christ and that not only do we care and that we pray, but we start doing something. We stop being scared. Compel us, Lord, to get on our feet and to go and to do. That's my prayer. God, make that who we are. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.